And open your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 1. I, uh, I'm, I'm going to have a full knee replacement on Wednesday. I've had partial replacement on both knees in the last couple, three years, and I liked it so much. I'm going to try it again. And uh, I, I would appreciate your prayer for a quick recovery. I, I, uh, I don't mind being sick, but I do mind not being able to do the ministry. And uh, in fact, if I was to say, why am I uh, having surgery? It's so I can continue to be strong and to be fit for the ministry. And I, I look forward to, uh, to a renewal of that. Last fall, uh, Sue and I had a chance to go to Asia. Down just a little bit. Had a chance to go to Asia, and uh, she did some things with uh, wives of our coworkers there, and uh, I uh, taught a class with uh, one of our coworkers as uh, he does training pastors. Pastors come in from various uh, parts of that large country, and uh, we spend a week. In this case, we were studying theology, and uh, this time I, I've been there like five years ago or wherever, however time it was, and that time we had to be sequestered because of security concerns, and literally did not go outdoors for six days stayed in an apartment and uh, that whole time. And, but this time, we could get out and walk around, which I really enjoyed, because sightseeing to me is just seeing other countries and other cultures. It's not so much about seeing a particular site or whatever. So every day at lunchtime, we, we took kind of a long break. They kind of do a siesta-type thing in that country, and, and so we'd have an uh, hour and a half, two hours off, and I would just walk as far as I could through town. It was it's a small city in that country, only five million people, and we were kind of right in the middle of that, and so I just walked downtown and, and uh, you know, watched my watch and then turn around and walk back, and not too far from the place where we were doing the training, there was the equivalent of a mini-mart, and, uh, and thank the Lord, they sold Diet Coke, and, uh, you know, you can't get that just everywhere, <laughs> and uh, so I'd go in and get a Diet Coke and some kind of uh, a dessert item. And uh, one day, it was, it was some kind of a solid chocolate bar. I don't know if it was Hershey's or some other brand. But uh, it was kind of, a, kind of a stout one like that. And uh, when I uh, got back to the, uh, the training site, I, I cracked open that Diet Coke. I should do that every Sunday, I think. <laughs> and uh, and uh, And I... Cracked open that Hershey's bar, and and uh, what was that? Uh, well, you know, I, uh, I I was training pastors, so you have to share, <laughs> right? You can't be the rich American and not share your candy bar, right? <laughs> not that I wouldn't share anyway. But so so I there was there was one. One guy, there was only one guy in, in the room where I was sitting, and I said, hey, you want a piece of candy bar? Yeah. So I, I, you know, I broke it off and gave it to him, and I had a piece myself. And, uh, and I ate it like I normally do. And I worked this thing down. And life was good. And after I had about two or three more pieces, I said to him, would you like another piece? you know, mindful of the fact that he didn't speak English and I didn't speak Chinese, but, you know, and he said, no. He was still savoring the first piece 
in his mouth. Working that thing over, letting it melt, getting every ounce of flavor out of it possible. And I'm going, arr, 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 arr. I don't want to hurry through Easter. I want to savor it a little bit today. And I want to encourage you to savor it too. And I can't think of any better way to savor Easter than to just read through the story of Easter. And I'm just going to ask you to close your Bible and listen. Because what I'm going to read from is a compilation of all four Gospels from a book called The Life of Christ in Stereo. And it was an attempt by a a godly man to pull all of those four accounts together in the way that they very well could flow if it was one big account. So would you just listen and just savor the resurrection story. Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices that they might come and anoint him. And on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came, and certain others with them, to see the sepulcher, bringing spices and ointments which they had prepared. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone from the door and sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow, and for fear of him, those on guard trembled and became like dead men. Now after Jesus rose... Early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. Mary came to the sepulcher while it was yet dark and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. She ran, therefore, and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, he whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They took away the Lord from the sepulcher, and we do not know where they laid him. Peter, therefore, and the other disciple arose and went forth and ran toward the sepulcher, and they began to run together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the sepulcher first, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Simon Peter, therefore, came following him, and he went into the sepulcher, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and the napkin which had been about his head lying not with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Therefore the other disciple also who had reached the tomb first went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not fully understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. So the disciples departed again to their abode wondering at what had come to pass. But Mary kept standing outside near the sepulcher weeping. While therefore she was weeping she stooped and looked into the sepulcher and she beheld two angels in white, one sitting at the head, the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they took away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. And when she had thus spoken, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, If you have taken him away, please tell me where you laid him, and I will go and take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And turning around, she said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, dear teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold me, 
For I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept that she had seen the Lord and, had, and he had spoken these things to her. But they, though hearing it, hearing that he was alive and had been seen by her, disbelieved it. Now Joanna... And Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them came to the sepulcher when the sun had risen. And they were saying among themselves, Who will roll the stone away from the door of the sepulcher? For it was very great. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had already been rolled away. Then on entering the sepulcher, they found not the body of the Lord Jesus. But it came to pass, as they were much perplexed about this, they saw a young man sitting at the right side, clothed in a long white garment, And they were greatly amazed. Behold, two men stood by them in dazzling garments. And as they became terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not fear, do not be amazed, for I know that you seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Remember how he spoke to you when he was in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again? And they remembered his words. And he said to them, Come, see the place where the Lord lay, but go quickly and tell his disciples and Peter that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. And lo, I have told you this. So they went and quickly fled from the sepulcher, for, for trembling and astonishment possessed them. Neither said they anything to anyone, for they were afraid, and they started to run to tell the disciples. But as they were on their way, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! And they came and seized him by his feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus to them, Fear not, Go tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And they they returned with great joy and told all these things to the eleven apostles and to all the rest. What a day that must have been. We can try to imagine it as we read the scripture. You remember these eleven, and of course, if you're thinking, why not twelve? That's because Judas has already killed himself over his grief. And the 13th hasn't been added yet, till, or the 12th till later. These 11 accompanied with Jesus for three years. He did miracles, and he allowed them to do miracles. They preached the word. People came and believed, and all of this great stuff. And then he's crucified. And they must have been going, What? And you notice there was a special mention of Peter. Go tell Peter that I've raised from the dead. You remember Peter, a couple of nights before, three nights before, he denied Christ to his face. In one of the gospel accounts, it says when he denied, he looked and Jesus looked right at him. And he said, I don't even know who this guy is. And then the next day, Jesus was crucified. How bad would you feel if you were Peter? You know, the denial is bad enough, but now 
your denial seems to have contributed to his crucifixion. Meanwhile, you thought this guy is going to be the deliverer of Israel. And then Mary Magdalene, the woman whom Jesus cast seven demons out of, comes running into the room and goes, you won't believe it. He's raised from the dead. And they didn't believe it. They looked, they heard, and eventually they came to a point of belief. And more than anything, for those first disciples, more than anything, more than anything, the resurrection is the proof of Christ's claims. Look with me at Romans chapter 1. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated by the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and holy scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Don't miss this, folks. The resurrection is the proof of Christ's claims. Declared to be the Son of God with power. According to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Obviously, for anyone to rise from the dead is a significantly powerful thing. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Of course, the difference between Lazarus and Jesus is Lazarus had to experience death again. Jesus did not. But the resurrection wasn't just a display of power as in coming back to life. It was a display of power to prove the claims Jesus had made. Jesus made many unbelievable claims while he was on earth. He claimed to be the Son of God. that's, That's the most incredible claim possible. He claimed that he spoke for God. In other words, he said, the only things I say are the things I've heard from the Father. He claimed that it was necessary to believe in him for salvation. He claimed he would leave earth, go to heaven, and prepare a place for his followers. He also claimed that those who failed to accept his gracious offer would spend eternity in hell. You know, if you take all of his claims together, he sounds a little bit like a politician making big promises to gather votes. And as you listen to him, you think, there is no way this fella can deliver. And that's what they thought. They said, you can't do that. That's not possible. Remember, he said, tear down this temple, and in three days I'll build it back. And they said, you can't do it. It took 40 years to build the temple. And they did not understand it was the temple of his body. He made claims that they they just, they couldn't believe. And that's why we hear, that's why we hear phrases like this from Matthew Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus didn't just say this once. 
We know that Jesus said it at least twice. It was something that, frankly, I learned this week that I hadn't observed before. He didn't just say it once. He said it at least twice, which means he may have said it in multiple settings. And he essentially said, these uh, these men who were religious but not true believers, they came and said, do a trick. That's really what they said. They said, said, we've heard about miracles, now do one and then we'll believe. And they wanted to, you know, like, like a dog, you know, sit up, lay down. They wanted to make him do a trick. And he said, you're evil. And I will only give you one evidentiary miracle. And that is the resurrection. And of course, he puts it in a poetic form, if you will. In other words, he doesn't just say, I'm going to die, be buried three days, and raised from the dead. That would have been plain, prosaic language like we speak in. He said, do you remember that story of Jonah in the Old Testament? He was three days and three nights in the, in the belly of the fish. He said, he was a picture of what's going to happen to me. I will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, and then I will come back. The sign of Jonah, uh, my, my miracle is going to parallel what you saw in Jonah. And so the resurrection of Christ demonstrates the validity of his claims. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is preparing a place in heaven for those who believe. Jesus will receive me to himself because I have believed in him. Let's just stop and savor that for a moment. Jesus is who he said he was. He will do what he said he will do. Wow. Those of us that have been in Christ a long time, we hear it, we talk about it, but we don't just stop and say, wow, how great is that? Our faith is based on real evidence, not just some story. Because Christ made the resurrection the focal point of proof for his claims, the resurrection is also a key point of faith. Listen to this familiar passage from Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 8. What does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth, now now check this, because I think we gloss over this sometimes. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We read this, these, this passage a lot. We talk about it a lot. We talk about the fact that you need to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. But it's always kind of generic. You need to believe in Christ. This verse says we need to believe that God has raised him from the dead. We need to believe that we have a living Savior, not a dead one. Whether or not you believe in the resurrection of Christ is a watershed belief. It is a dividing line between the false believers and the true believers. See, the idea of Christ as Savior, we we all know that's not real popular in greater American society. For all I know, it may not be real popular with some of you sitting here this morning. When we say Christ is the Savior, you must believe in him, people say, I don't like that. But you know, in our society, you can talk about faith. And that's good. You need to believe. You need to have faith. 
And it's, those phrases are used in all kinds of different ways. And even some Christians talk about having faith or being people of faith as though what matters is my faith. As long as I just keep believing, I keep hanging on to that rope, I'll be okay. But the important thing about Christian faith, real saving faith, is the object of that faith. You see, God says, don't not just believe, generic, but believe that God has raised him from the dead. God's target of faith is very specific. He's very plain with us. When it comes to salvation, our faith has, has several points. Jesus was and is the Son of God who took on human life, becoming the one and only God-man. Jesus lived a perfectly righteous life. Jesus offered the perfect blood sacrifice to pay for our sins. Jesus rose from the dead after three days and ascended into heaven after 50 days to complete our salvation. We need to believe that in a very pointed way. You see, there is a kind of faith that is not saving. James talks about it. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. You ever think of the demons, of the devil, as having faith? I don't want to have that kind of faith. He believes that there is a God. There is a God, and he is fighting tooth and nail against him. But real faith goes beyond just believing generically in God and believes in Jesus Christ as our Savior who rose from the dead. Saving faith believes in Jesus completely and solely, and that is something to savor because I don't need to rely on myself. Now, it's real popular, probably the most popular concept of eternal salvation in the world is that I am going to work and work and earn and I'm going to show up in wherever it is deserving to be there. That's very popular. It takes on many different forms. Some of them are called religion. Some of them are just called philosophies of life. You know what? I'd rather believe in Jesus. Because at the end of the day, this thing about trusting in yourself and trying to earn your own way leaves you empty. Because at the very best, you're going, well, I, I think I did enough. I hope I did enough. But when we believe in the risen Christ... When we believe in the risen Christ, we get the forgiveness of sins as this guy did. A little guy named Zacchaeus. Scripture tells us he was short, and so he got up in a tree so he could see Jesus coming. And Zacchaeus invited him over for dinner, and uh, of course that, that was a big brouhaha with the people in town because Zacchaeus was a terrible man, and Jesus was having dinner with him. And midway through the dinner, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house, 
Now, he didn't get saved because he gave money to people. His giving of money was an evidence that he had changed his mentality about God. He had repented of his sinful pride and of his wickedness. Today, salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The forgiveness of sins based on the resurrection of Christ is something to savor. I've been forgiven. I can't earn it, but it can be given to me. Salvation can be given to me. But that also takes us right on to the next great blessing. Resurrection brings the power for new life. Turn with me over to Romans chapter 6. A couple pages over in your Bible to Romans 6, verse 4. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism. That's the spirit baptism. When we believe in Christ, the spirit places us into the body of Christ. We were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man, our, our sinful man, was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be the slaves of sin." When we believe in Christ, we are spiritually united with him. You know, I can bring my hands together, but that doesn't even really depict it because it's not, it's not joined like this. It's joined like us being placed into Christ and, and actually becoming part of him in a spiritual sense, not becoming divine and all of that craziness, but becoming part of his body, which is composed of all believers. And here's the cool part. It's retroactive. You ever get a retroactive raise? I hear about them. Uh, that's a hint. No. Um, no, actually, I always get a retroactive raise whenever I get a raise because the budget's never approved till like the end of January, so there's a little bit of raise there for January. So I get a little. But I hear about these Boeing guys. And they've been out on strike for a year. And, 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 and you know, the, the management at Boeing's no dummies. They might be corrupt, but they aren't dummies. And they say, hey, we're going to give you retroactive pay. And, and you look at that and you think, whoa, that's really going to be something. And you think, wow, that's cool. Do you know that your salvation is retroactive? What do I mean by that? Well, what Romans chapter 6 says is this. When you believe in Christ... The Holy Spirit places you into Christ and spiritually your inner sinful man was crucified with Christ. And the net effect of that is, as Romans 6 makes plain, and if you've never read it, you should spend some time reading it today or tomorrow, it makes it plain. The effect of being united with him in his death is that sin cannot control you. Now, I don't know if you've ever I don't know if you've ever really meditated on that and really let God capture your soul. Just to say these words, sin cannot control me. Now, I know the habits of sin are tough, and it, and it feels like we're swept along in these patterns of behavior, but the reality is, if you are a true believer of Christ, sin cannot control you. 
But that's not the end of the story. Not only is the power of sin broken, but the, the new life in Christ is implanted. You can be a partaker of the divine nature, the nature of Christ. The character of Christ can be yours, and you can escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. You know, you can pick up the paper on any day and see the corruption that is in the world because people live by their strong desires. They just arrested a guy out in Kansas or somewhere who was shooting at cars driving down the road. Now, I don't know why he was doing that, but when it comes out, you'll find out he was living by his own personal sinful desires. Obviously, he wasn't doing anything good for those people, and he wasn't doing anything the government told him to do. He was living by his own desires. That is the corruption. And, but, but, you know, that kind of corruption is so distant. The real corruption is the kind we see all around us. It's, it's people's lives falling apart, even though they're trying so hard. The resurrection brings new life. I can become like Christ. You know, we tend to look at God's instruction for the Christian life as rules and as burdens to bear and work to toil at. But you know what the reality is? I can be like Christ. I can be at peace today like he was on, in, in, the, in the crucifixion. He was at peace. I will never go through anything even close to that. He was at peace through that. I can be like that. Now, I'm not like that yet. I'm going to get to practice on Wednesday. You know, going into surgery is easy. It's the coming out part. You go... What in the world have you done with me, Matt Oswin? Let me just talk about this. And there will be plenty of opportunities for me to practice being like Christ. But you know what the great thing is? It's possible. I am not limited to this human life and the, the normal complaining and so on that just goes with humanity. I can be above that. Wow, that is something to savor. And if, and if being saved from our sins and a new life is not enough, there is another promise that's incredible. The resurrection is the promise of eternal life. From John chapter 11, then Martha said to Jesus, this is when Jesus went to, to raise Lazarus from the dead, and before that happened, this is the interchange that Martha and Jesus had. Martha said, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She knew that Jesus healed people here and there and everywhere. But even now, I know whatever you ask God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he will live i am the resurrection when we believe in christ that resurrection power becomes part of us jesus put this all together so that we might have a tremendous future look at how paul wrote about it if christ is not risen if he did not raise from the dead then our preaching is empty and your faith is empty 
Yes, we are found to be false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If the resurrection is not true, then we should go home and not come back. Because we're fooling ourselves. But the resurrection of Christ gives us hope for our own future resurrection. And it's not just a hope, it is a living hope, a certainty. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has caused us to be born again, begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. When we believe in Christ and are changed, this, this, this hope becomes a certainty of our future. I have officiated, as the proper word is, at dozens and dozens of funerals. Probably half of them were for people who didn't claim any faith in Christ. And neither did the majority of their family. And I can tell you this without blinking and without a doubt. There is a palpable difference between the death of a believer and the death of an unbeliever for that person and for those who remain. Believing in the resurrected Christ is not a fact in the head but a certainty in the heart that gives joy in the face of life's greatest unknown because we know we're headed to heaven. We know that our body will be resurrected. And that, my friends, is something to savor. Friday morning, a friend stopped into the office to chat about some, some ministry that we are planning to do together. He's a part of another church, and we're going to do some things. And, uh, and he's a real enthusiastic guy. And he came in and said, Christ is risen! And I said, yes, he is. And he said, what is wrong with you? <laughs> he, he pointed the books in my office. He says, you need to read some of those books. <laughs> Guilty. Christ is risen. There you go. He's risen indeed. And I'm convinced that one of the things we need to do, if you're a believer in Christ, is you need to savor that. Now, I could have used the word meditate. Because that's what the scripture means. When you... When, when, the scripture, when the scripture says you ought to meditate on some of God's truth... It, it means you ought to take this, this great tasting piece of God's word and stick it in your mouth and just mull it over. Think about it. Think about the implications of it. Think about what it would be like to, to not have it. 
and, and, and as you meditate on it and pray about it and talk to God about it, God's able to open up your heart and your understanding unto where you can truly grasp it in a more significant way. I want to encourage you to do that. I brought some pieces of chocolate. <laughs> We're not going to pass them out, but you can come up and get one. Kids, you can get one. And if you would, could I challenge you what to do with it? Now, don't stick it in this pocket down here because it'll melt before you get home. But put it somewhere, go home, and sometime today when things quiet down or tomorrow, get that out, get your Bible out, read the resurrection accounts. And just savor what God has done for you. Just stop and, and think and meditate and pray and praise and let God speak to your heart of the greatness of this day. If you're not a Christian here today, I would just so strongly encourage you that you are missing out. That's just all there is to it. You're missing out on the great confidence you can have about eternity. You're missing out on the freedom of having your sins forgiven. You're missing out on the transformation that can be taking place day by day. It would be my joy, or the joy of many people here, to sit down with you in the scripture right today when this service is over and say, don't you want to be able to savor Christ on his day? We'd love to help you with that. Heavenly Father, Oh, thank you for the resurrection and for how much it means to us, how, uh, what great impact it has on us. Help us not to just run over it as another great day on the calendar. Help us not to run over that truth at the end of the Gospels. Help us to, help us to think, help us to meditate, help us to savor the great blessings you've given to us. I pray in Christ's name, amen.